Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for September. That's all we're doing. I'm not doing the days of the week anymore because it's moving on. Because I think we're potentially nearer, near enough episode 200, which means I have not been stopped. I have not been thwarted, which means I can take my fight on to the rest of the podcasting world, which is always a good thing. But joining me tonight... um. I guess my uh, podcast guest who is following me on this journey is the one, the only, um, you could say they're a little bit zany, you might even say they're a little bit quirky, it's (laughs) Emma May from MR Studios. Hello Emma. Hiya. (laughs) Is that it? You alright? (laughs) Yeah, I'm great. (laughs) Thank you. I was, you know, I was expected to. Obviously, I would need to consider that intro because that intro was was quite rubbish. How you how you doing anyway? You will. It wasn't rubbish. I'm That's very great. well. I'm. <laughs> I've just come back from a show and I'm extremely exhausted. So you kind of catch right. me on. I'm just catching sort of that second wind now. So I know right. we were having a conversation earlier where we were saying, should yeah. we have, should we talk tonight? And I was like, yes, even Definitely. though I, it's been crazy. So what you're potentially saying is that any time in the next 45 minutes you could just zone out and go to sleep and that could be it, would be finished. No, because I've been sleeping. I've All been right, sleeping okay. a lot since coming back okay. from the show. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yesterday, okay. yesterday um, I was burnt out, but today I'm better. Oh, that's good then. Um I suppose I better say hello to everybody out there. Thank you for listening. Uh, the reason that we do this, as I said, um, because I like doing it. There you go. That's the reason I do anything, isn't it? Because you like doing it. And we Definitely. like speaking to people, and which is why we asked um, Emma on um, the show, because she is a mine of knowledge about board games. And I caught her not too long ago talking on the Unlucky Frog podcast, um, Friends of the Show. And I said, well, I, I definitely need to speak to Emma and have a chat. And um, yeah, so there, so there you go. Um, yeah, so we've established that you are <laughs> you're cruising away on <laughs> on a crest of of large and massive amounts of sleep. Um, I guess I need to ask you, only because I was prompted slightly. Um, where's the name come from? Is it just named <laughs> after yourself? You know, is it like... Well, it's not, but everybody assumes it. It is, it is, and it's not. <coughs> you can't say it's like E-M-M-E. Yeah, it is, E-M-M-A, but... Yeah, it is, and it's not. Um, Basically, when I was coming up with a name, I mm. was working on a virtual reality project, and I didn't, I hadn't started a company before. And All right. The people who are, I was working with a university, basically, um, and I was going for an Innovate UK grant. But in order to apply for the grant, I needed to have a company. And I had 48 hours to come up with a company. <laughs> so we were going over all of these different names. And yeah. as the virtual reality industry is growing, everyone's calling themselves Immerse or Immerse. So I couldn't use immerse because there's so many companies called immerse so we kind of then switched to the m (laughs) and i still managed to become immerse studios 
So yeah, it is it is named after me, but it's not really. It wasn't intended to. That's a very, very good made up story, but <laughs> I'm, made still up ten- story. I'm still ten- We had forty eight hours. <laughs> it was over a weekend, uh, literally. And then we were going not... for it and then yeah, it didn't end it's, up it's, happening it's, in the end. It's 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 fine. It's all good. Did, <laughs> no, did you did you go into the virtual reality stuff then? Or did well, you this is what happened. So I started my company in November 2016. I had, right. I've had, i got, still got the game going. It's going to happen in the next couple of years at least. Um, right. But what happened was so many people were asking me to design a card game that I ended up with four projects coming up into the new year and I couldn't work on all of them. And I realized that going into a virtual reality game mm-hmm. at this point, having not run a company before was a huge risk so i decided to go on something that was a lesser risk and trial what a business is i'm coloring myself confused as to why you've said you had four people asking you to make a card game because obviously i like the sound of my own voice so i talk a lot i don't think i've had anybody ask me to to even make them a cup of tea so i'm wondering <laughs> i mean what's your i mean how do you get how did you get, get into that asking. situation yeah, um, why, you know. So I had a card game in 2013, which came mm. from a book. So excuse me for the um, not as creative titles, but I wrote a book called 365 Days of Getting Into Character, All right. which was prompted by my best friend who had brought a Tony Robbins um, audio book or audio uh-huh. session, which she thought was 365 Days of Personal Power. It was a two-hour seminar. So I said, I'll make you a book and I'll write some positive things every single day that you can do and get yourself into your personal power. And it turned into a really silly book where yeah. I'd tell you to be a pirate or or talk to pe- people by oinking at them and all sorts of things. And from there, we kind of went, we can make this into a drinking game. So <laughs> I then invented Cards of Character, which uh-huh. at that point wasn't a really well formulated game i did a bit of testing with it and some artwork tests um i took it to kickstarter and i funded it for i think 730 pounds wow and then after that i was like well it's not really a a core concept for a game so i didn't bother taking it any further and i ended Mm -hmm. up in working in tech so when i ended up leaving that job and going into my own business I was showing people my card game and that's when they went, can you make it into a two-player game? If you brought this out at Christmas, it'd be fantastic. And it's uh-huh. kind of just that growth story of once I got into product development, I understood more about what I did wrong on those projects and I could recreate them now. Did you come from a, a kind of a tabletopy type background then? Were you, or have you, have you always just been the type of person that just goes out and make stuff and kind of create stuff and just does stuff kind of thing. I wouldn't say I'm I'm part of a tabletop um and anything um I kind of came into it in the last 2 years mm-hmm. um I think even in the first year of Immersed Studios I was like I'm not part of this world and I don't understand <laughs> it and all these people know each other and now I've been in it 2 years yeah. loads of people know who I am which is really crazy but um Saying I'm not really in, in that world, I mean, I did grow up with board games, um, and my favourite game is chess, and I used to play chess every week with my dad, and I nobody talks, my own. Nobody talks about chess. You know that. I, I know, people, you don't really kind of think about it as a, a tabletop no. game, but it, 
it's like one of the most sort of ancient games out there where which mm. games have derived from and i just love the it's, strategy in it yeah and it is kind of like you forget about how many things chess has kind of spurned you know just your strategies having things with different moves having things with different powers do you know what i mean having things to sacrifice you know yeah. having just that you know all these kind of strategies that you can have i mean you could say that um Magic the Gathering's like that, based on what you've got in front of you, you have to do certain movements, certain ways kind of thing. And it's it's really interesting that you say that, because people people usually chime in with Monopoly. Oh, yeah, we used then, to play Monopoly quite a bit. Yeah, and yet you've got chess kind of sitting on the shelf next to it going, what about me? But did you ever play, um, here's another one that no one really talks about, but yeah. loads of people had when they were younger, Pogs. Um, I... I did not. I must. You didn't have pogs. I did not. So no, you used to I'm collect them, and it's kind of like a flicky yeah. game. But I remember because you could collect all the pogs, but also yeah. I think I've still got them somewhere in the attic. Um, <laughs> my sister actually had the board game for it, and I can't even remember how you played the board game. I can't even imagine that. Was that? The, <laughs> has they got like little slots in the side so you could stick them all together as well? Or am I thinking of something no, completely that's something, different? That's something that is different. something completely different. Yeah. I've been just being daft. No, I must be far too old. I still had like a stick and a hoop in the street. I'm gonna have to you know. post. I'll, I'll have to post some pictures of pogs and see how many people retweet have it. To. And yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have it's... to because we've got community on Twitter. <laughs> you could actually do that. You could actually say to people, "This is um, fantasy flights, new immersive. New immer- you could say it's fantasy flights, new immersive." Um, completely brand new game that's unique to every person and just see how many folk that's the type of thing I would do just to see how many folk would bite and then you get one smart person going that's Pogs I think you'll find um, yeah I wouldn't do that <laughs> I my, my company policies is that we're very honest we're oh, honest right. and trustworthy they're part of our core values see mine is you've got a set amount of time doing this so you might as well get everything you can so <laughs> <laughs> It's not. It's not very nice. It's not very honest. But you know, it, um, <laughs> it helps make me smile. Um, <clears throat> so your background then is your background more, you know, kind of business and stuff like that. Then you said you mentioned tech. So did you come from a tech? Have you come from a, like a technical background? Kind of. Um, I so I actually studied for three D modeling and animation. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to do anything, I'd love to go into digital game design because i can character model um i can tie i can animate a tiny bit i'm more of a make the artwork type of person um Mm -hmm. but i ended up in i ended up falling into the tech industry when i was freelancing and i i couldn't afford anything anymore and had to get a job (laughs) (laughs) this is the bad the bad time i had with um the book and the card game and it didn't go anywhere and ended up in a job i ended up as a product production technician and i was literally screwing in the same same screws on a computer every single day for about eight months and i was like i'm more talented than this i can do something else (laughs) so i ended up um i'm I'm quite natural at networking um and sort of the entrepreneurial skills well in a company it's called intrapreneurship um so you're connecting ideas and, and networking with inside the industry so that you can go further and I ended up getting 
a crazy pay rise and a job created for me and I was uh, mentored by the MD of the company. Um, so whilst I was in that role, they were throwing different uh, creative projects at me and saying, we yeah. want to do this or we want to do that. So I'd innovate in that space and I'd work anywhere from the producing the brief or having mm-hmm. the brief come to me and then designing the project in CAD to um, talking to the customers and working with the purchasing department and the sales team. So I, I would, what I did there was learn that entire journey from how do you create something and how do you get somebody interested in it. Yeah. And then when I left the company, that's what I really wanted to do is work in products. So whilst I am in tabletop, I do want, I am in games basically. So I want to create more games, but I also quite, quite like the idea of making toys and um, electronics but how do you get round to that? I mean, were you doing something and then it's like, was it like Big and Tom Hanks? Did you go out into a store and play like a big, huge piano and play with a boss? And then they went, oh, you could do this for us. Or was it just, did you just like rock up and say, look, these screws into boards and stuff, that's just not my, that's not my bag. Can I show you what I can do? I mean, was it just um, like a nap? Kind of, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I you do, You know when you like, I could. I, I'm not in my talent right now, and I don't know what to do. Every yeah. time someone important walked past, I'd scream in my head, "Notice me! Somebody notice me! I've got more talents than this." But nobody heard my thoughts, so I was Did like, you... "I'm going to have to actually do something." So, you start <laughs> chucking things at because they went past. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I didn't go that far. Um, no. Um, I that, that it, works, it took a long though. time. It took a long time to get into in front of the right people. So I'd always show people my work or I'd go away and I'd build yeah. my website and then show people the website I'd, I was building or show people like uh-huh. different parts of my portfolio. Um, always the wrong people, but those people would talk to other people who I'd then eventually get to talk to. So um, I asked, I, it's as, about asking the right questions to sometimes the wrong people and then the right people. Um, and even then I was asking my manager, how do I get a job in engineering? And he said, I can't do anything for you but you'd have to talk to the engineering manager. And it was yeah. just really, it's a coincidence that at that point he said that the engineering manager walked past the, the room I was in. So I was like, oh, I'll ask him now. Um, and then from there, they, they kind of took me under their wing and mentored me for about six weeks. And then he said, if you're really serious about doing this, then I'll get you a meeting with the boss. And you just that- no fear then? Is that, is that your type of personality? Are you just like saying, well, I might as well go and do this because if I don't do this, then nothing's going to happen kind of thing? Well, I kind of think in that in the job role I had, I was quite depressed because I wasn't doing anything with my skills. But yeah. um, I was actually the most scared of that because I had this promise of this um, interview with someone that run, ran this company. Uh-huh. And in, in the space of time that... that I was leading up to that. My head was going, if you want to, you can give up and you can do this job forever, Emma. And I went, I don't really want to do this forever, so I'm going to have to take the leap and and just try something new. Okay. Is that not scary? I mean, is that not... I mean, It was pe- very I, scary, I, yes. I know of a lot of people who would sit there and say, well, I could, I could do this an awful lot better. And it's like, well, why don't you go and do it an awful lot better? And it's like, well, look, I'm living in a house and I've got a car and I've got mortgage payments and there's food that needs to go on the table and stuff like that so was it I I mean hats off to you for doing that because it's not I could probably do it but it'd be a scary time to kind of do it but you just like yeah I was gonna say the job that I was in at that point 
wasn't it was a a minimum wage job so i was yeah. on 12 grand a year and right. if i lost that job i'm sure i could have found another one but i don't think trying to improve yourself would lose you the job it would just mean mm-hmm. if it if it wasn't the right job for me i'd just go back to that job in their company mm-hmm. so where'd you go from there then i mean how do you end up kind of you, you obviously you mentioned that you'd um were kind of creating your own company and then went down the lines of creating your own kind of card game. But then what, what, I mean, what, where did you go from there? Well, I left that company about yeah. a year after having the, the new job and the pay rise. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's where I, that's the scariest risk I think I took. Actually, I took two scary risks and it was a year after that. Um, so I left that company to start my own business and I mm-hmm. I was kind of a little bit destroyed from that journey because it was so there's so much to learn and at the time I was 25 and I think I went through about three mental breakdowns because of how much I was learning um and I kind of just fell apart at the end and then um I didn't think I was good at product and I, I left that company and I, I I feel a bit off about this but I started a life coaching business And I started a life coaching business because basically the role I was in was supposed to prepare me to take on students to teach them how to do product development. Um, But when I left, I wasn't qualified enough to go into business consultation. Right. I didn't have the experience behind me to to say to someone, this is how you do something successfully. All I had done Mm -hmm. is getting a pay rise in a hostile environment. um, And people were surprised how I did that. But then there's no evidence of that to anyone else so why would they trust me to help them become successful um yeah so i took life coaching on and i did a course um and it's not completely bizarre because i've been doing personal development for about 11 years and i used to be very very shy i used to never be able to speak to anybody um and now i'm in a place where universities are calling me up and asking me to do 20 minute talks about customer um acquisition all that sort of stuff in front of hundreds of people <laughs> and it's it's a world away from where I used to be when I was 18 I was still codependent on other people so that I could do anything um yeah but I had to break that all of that um so yeah I went into life coaching and I don't think that it's it wasn't a waste of time it helped me a lot to find out who I was and how to build a business that I wanted um and also I helped a lot of people along the way and I learned a lot about um the marketing side of things so my my personal twitter i took from i think i had 200 followers at the time and i took it to 4000 followers in about 4 months wow so if you see that account and it's got a lot of followers on that's because that's what i did then but i'm not focused on it now so i'm not growing it and i'm also not growing immersed studios because i i don't have time to do that because i'm focused <laughs> too much on building my brand in yeah. actually putting the card game out there and and doing appearances that way there's a lot there to digest. <laughs> I understand. The light, no, I mean, let's start with the life coaching then. I mean, is I've seen people approach life coaching in certain ways, and some of them it's just you know, in some ways it's kind of positively giving positive affirmations to somebody who already kind of knows where they kind of want to go, but just maybe need that extra helping hand. And then I I heard other people saying like, there's just folk coming in and saying, listen. I am kind of broken and I just need to take things steps at a time and I need somebody to kind of help me 
show me the way how I can get kind of where I want, kind of where I want to be. I mean, do you end up kind of becoming, when you're doing the life coaching, did you, is every person that you're dealing with, do you have to kind of do something completely different or did you have kind of like set, set things that you followed? Well, for did you, me, did you... I, I think what I'm very good at in, what I'm very good at in business is understanding people's um, aims or, or goals and being mm. able to connect those with other people who can provide them with a way forward um mm-hmm. that i think that's just a talent of mine um but when i talk to people who are coming to me because they feel stuck and they don't know which way to move it's yeah. it was about understanding and listening to the stories and the patterns in between because another thing that i'm very good at is finding a pattern and then that you knowing that pattern is where they're feeling stuck and then flipping it on its head um and then I don't want to say attacking, but attacking it from that angle. Um, and what ends up happening is we can have a 45-minute conversation and yeah. we will find the root cause of why they have a particular behaviour in an area that they're feeling stuck in. And it just it, it enables them to then have that clarity of that thing. And what happens in when we have that conversation is usually that person is like, I want to get off the call now and I'm ready to take action. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. um okay we're we're finished here then (laughs) you go off and do that thing and then but the thing i don't like is that because i'm the one there helping them to see the clarity is that they then become codependent on me because they get to a point where they become stuck again um with something else and then they constantly need the, the support um and i'm kind of the person that i want to give you as much as i possibly can but i want you to then find your own sort of path within it is that kind of like the student outgrows the teacher in a way? Yeah, it's people becoming self-sufficient and being able to spot their own, I guess, their own issues and knowing how to tackle it themselves or knowing how to forge their own path without having some... Sometimes it's kind of them having their own confidence and knowing that they're sometimes making the right decision. I mean, I've said this before and something as stupid as people backing kind of kickstarters to people making decisions about but designing board games for instance you know sometimes people just need somebody to say yeah that's yeah you should you can do that you know or you should be you should be getting on and doing that because there's a little bit of a lack of justification to themselves that they've got the abilities to do or they can just go ahead and do it themselves kind of thing which is always interesting i'm in sales emma yeah. i mean that's my job and i'm in sales and consultants so i'm always looking sometimes you'll have people kind of asking you saying i'm about to spend this amount of money on using you as a consultant to help me do xyz is that the right move do you think they're actually asking the person (laughs) who's asking for the service or the money in the first place whether or not they think it's a good idea just because it's uh, sometimes difficult to take responsibility for your own actions and you're always looking for somebody else just to to give you kind of like confirmation that you're yeah. kind of correct, which is always kind of, which is always kind of interesting. Um, did you? I mean, I mean, it seems like then with what you're doing, kind of now, because I know that you're still kind of very, very busy just now, kind of just helping people connect with other people, and as you say, kind of, it's almost like facilitating, enabling people to do things that you know, to do things to achieve things. Where does? I mean, where does? 
where does Quirk come into all of this? How does well, that fit I'm into confused. it? I'm Is... confused. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a kind of different... There's two different yeah. sides of me you're saying. Yes. Well, th- this is the funny thing. So the life coaching for me, at the time, it was something I needed to do to help me through a tough period in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I, when I started that business, I can be totally honest, I, when I started the business, I, I kind of knew it was wrong for me because I ended up having bruises all over my body and I was completely stressed. Um, mm-hmm. But I was following it anyway because I thought, where my act- where I feel my calling is is in product, and I felt my calling wasn't for me uh, until eight months in, and I realised I had to change. Um, and then I started a mesh studios, and I've had tons of success just being in this business alone. So it kind of makes mm. sense that I'm here. Um, but the life coaching side doesn't go away. There's so many lessons that I'm still teaching people, and I don't know if you've seen any of my blogs on a mesh studios. But I'm, I'm trying not to do the life coaching thing. But at the same time, there's so many people who now come to me and ask me the same questions. I've had probably a, in a week seven game designers who are asking the same questions over and over again. And they're worried about the same things. They're going through the same sort of emotional cycles. And yeah. I understand that as well because I'm going through it. And I just feel like because I've done it and I've done quite a lot of things successfully, I can talk about them in a way that can take away some of those pain points of them going through it. Jink, there's a jink, there's a need for that then. Jink, there's the, a definite need because. I, yes. Yeah. The, the simple answer is yes. Um, it's. I don't think it's just the tabletop industry. I, the tabletop industry is growing massively, and there's so many people going, ah, I can design a game, and there's a lot of naivety yeah. that comes with that, and. I'm saying that as I've been through that naivety. I've I've designed Quirk and I've put a Kickstarter ca- campaign together and I failed funding it because I thought if I just put a Kickstarter campaign together, it's going to be an excellent game and everyone's going to come and back it. And that's obviously yeah. the wrong way to do it. You need to be able to build that audience up over a long period of time and you have to interest people constantly and you need to show up constantly. But that does take its toll on you. Um, and I've, I've talked about it with a lot of designers because there's so many people that are actually struggling with just designing or developing their game or the, there's so many things that go wrong in that process as well. And you've got an audience once you have Kickstarter and you have to be able to uh, supply that game to them whilst things are going wrong and people are getting angry at you. So there's a lot a lot to take on. And it's not not just that. It's when you design a game that's putting it out there and will people like it because that tears you apart because you're putting your heart and soul into something and then someone rates it down and you think all I've ever done is listen to my audience and it's the right thing for them yeah yeah I think um what there is nowadays is there's I think there's more and more backup for the practical sides of things and I think there's just as much stress on somebody that is going through a tough time getting their product funded than somebody who's all of a sudden finding themselves at the the other end of the spectrum. I mean, I remember um, having Peter Blinken on the show a couple of times and um, Subterra did really, really well on Kickstarter, yeah. still doing really, really well on Kickstarter. And then things just, you know, it was like, it seemed like one thing after another just didn't seem to be going as well as it could be. And he was under a lot of pressure 
to deliver and then all of a sudden he had several thousand strangers kind of almost knocking on his door asking, you know, what's going on with this? I'm expecting this, this. When is this getting delivered? I was expecting this to to have this. This is broken. This isn't working. I need this replaced kind of thing. I don't, and I think you consider kind of the design, you consider the logistics. I don't see many people kind of saying, I've I've thought about the emotional, (laughs) the potential emotional stress that's going to be involved in, in running this and these are the steps that I've taken in order to kind of almost um, protect myself yep. from the stresses and strains that kind of been going on. Is that what you've been, I mean, is that is that why people the, have been kind of contacting you? Yeah, that's of, the side of it. Actually, people contact me about the steps on what do you do to get where you're going. Um, hmm. But at the same time, I like to put that emotional spin on it because I know the struggle it is the mental struggle is that it, it takes for you to do something successful because whilst whilst you can have a campaign that fails and that really hurts, the worst mm. thing is having a successful campaign where you create create more problems. So every time I get a next level of success, I've got 10 more problems to solve and I've got more responsibility than the last project. So I always say, you know, if you do a Kickstarter campaign and it fails, it's a really good learning structure for you because yeah. at least then you don't, you don't have the responsibility responsibility to fulfill on something that you haven't done before and you can then get your sort of head together and think how can I do this more successfully and then prepare myself for what comes afterwards Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so and also smaller campaigns are better for that as well you don't want to have a massive success on your first game (laughs) sorry (laughs) no I mean no I mean I think that's I think it's really weird because I've seen I've spoken to a lot of people who have had kind of massive successes on the first games like your frank as i say well peter himself you know yeah. that was his that wasn't his first game but it was certainly kind of um a huge one that came after frank west you know kevin young um of inspiring games you know i've spoken to there's a few guys across the pond mark Niglinger, um you know um richard keen i mean these all these guys have ended up kind of propping up kind of six figure kickstarters and they've gone from saying, oh, we're a, I'm a one-man band, or there's me and my brother, or there's me and a couple of friends, to all of a sudden I've got to think about offices and, <laughs> or I've got to think about putting, you know, um, putting my best smart, you know, my best smart jacket on because I've got to be meeting some important people and things like that. I've got to be flying here or going and doing this or going and doing that. And all of a sudden, something I just wanted to be able to take out a box and have fun all of a sudden became very, very kind of grown up in, indeed, which is Definitely. a, which you can't prepare yourself for. I mean, kind of. You, you never know of, what's honestly. on the other side. So, I mean, as much no. as I can give the advice on it's better to do a small campaign, <laughs> is you, I think, well, it is, it is better to do a small campaign because then at least you've, you learn some of that journey without taking on massive risk. I'm, I'm mm. always about small risk. Um, I'm, I've been growing my business over the last two years. Um, 10 months of development and then the, the last couple well since october the so quirk's only been on the market for 11 months now um and i went from having like you look at quirk um on kickstarter and a lot of people will assume that it's not going to be a massive project because i think the first project i got 77 backers the second project mm. i had 142 backers so i never yeah. do anything massive but within 11 months i've sold almost 3,000 games on my own 
and I've done that in it on Amazon on in the market and I've taken on 10 um, retailers but then I do things in a very precise way (laughs) I mean have you planned I mean have you are you quite meticulous in your planning then do you find yourself kind of I wouldn't say um, so um one thing that I'm I'll tell you a little bit about but I won't go into detail of is I ha- I've had probably a very troublesome journey with Quirk because, you know, I put a f- the first Kickstarter campaign up and it failed. And then five yeah. months later, I did five months worth of testing with my audience on um, the game mechanics, adding cards to it, um, whether the artwork was all right, cutting cards out, looking at the price point, and then buying a small prototype run to test that pro- price point. Before, well, just around the time I was getting my first Kickstarter campaign funded, and I got funded for about one thousand five hundred with Quirk. Um, yeah, I ran into a trademark issue with a big games company. Really? Um, and that was one of two trademarks. And it took me. So I was, I wanted just to have fun in my business. So I had yeah. to. Um, in that space of time, still develop the game. I had to look into CE marks and getting it tested, so that obviously it was safe for um, toy safety um, in the EU, and then also battling uh, trademark issues and wondering why all of my money was going on lawyers and not on my development costs, um, and wondering whether my business would survive. And I ended up for nine months going through that, and I won both. And both of these companies, they're, they're both probably multi-million pound companies. And I'm here yeah. starting up. And I, at the point that I I went for it and I took took on my lawyers, I had to believe that Quirk would do what it's done in the market in the last 11 months that it has done before it had done it, which is an incredible amount of faith. <laughs> Were they expecting you just to kind of like... Put your hands up and say, "Right, you win." I take it that was was probably, that what they were kind of expecting. Probably because I was so so small at the time. I think one of them actually saw me at the UK Games Expo and gave me a business card, uh, and that's the problem. You you, you kind of never know who you're speaking to, especially when you're really small. Yeah, yeah, and it's a strange thing because it's like I've seen what was that? I saw I saw something ridiculous the other day about um, some guy who was selling chicken out of his restaurant was getting sued by Nando's of all people because his business name was Fernando's and Nan- all right. <laughs> Nando's, yeah. Nando's were suing him and they're saying well why why, why you tra-? and it was just a it was just a letter to say like look we're gonna we're gonna potentially sue you for um trademark and you know potential copyright and everything all all the infringements you know big long letter lots of complicated words planet the scale this guy's like got one shop you know he's not a multinational or anything like that i think that's what they try and do if they see that you're quite small they they try and stomp on you before you you become anything big yeah yeah but i mean that must have been I'm just gonna say, just imagine the emotional turmoil I was going through, and still trying to put a game into the market. I mean, I, I think I've been through that. That feels like the worst for me. Um, and it wasn't until February this year that I actually, because that's when trademarks finished and I, I won. Yeah. Um, that I actually felt I could have fun in my business. A, a ticket was it draining? I mean, ugh, of course it must have been draining. It was. Horrible. I mean, was it? It was horrible when I had the emails in my 
my uh, obviously my email um, from their lawyers, and they would have they were trying to change some of the terms and conditions on what we were putting in place. Uh, and I can't go into too much detail about it. It was just horrible just can. to no, see no. Yeah. see some of the stuff that they're trying to bully you on um, and trying mm. to make you out to be the weaker one. And you still have to be there. And again, it's that it's the taking responsibility. So every every kind of level of success, obviously, you get more responsibility. And I had to stand up and go, I need to fight for what I believe in. And I need to, I think Quirk's going to be big. So I'm going to keep going. And you must have just, I mean, you must have felt so relieved and... Oh, in February I was. Otherwise yeah. I wanted to cry. <laughs> I didn't cry. I had to be stronger than that. I, there's a lot of pacing that happened. Yeah. And a lot of phone calls. Because <laughs> it's the last thing you expect when you put a Kickstarter together, isn't it? I mean, you, you, your primary worry is, are people going to like it? Are people going to be willing to back it? No, oh, I'm going to have to put up with these emails from these huge behemoth companies who just are just kind of like bullying me for no, you can't see for kind of any kind of reason kind of thing. Um, did that, I mean, in that some ways, has that strengthened your resolve to kind of make sure that Quirk gets into as many places as possible? Well, I always wanted to do that anyway. I've had a massive goal to get it out there. And I think mm. even... I write so much content, um, but I've, I've on one of my Kickstarter updates, I think it might have been on Quirk Legends, I literally wrote on it, guys, I'm going to make this big for you because I, I've got this massive um, reason why I want to make this huge. Um, and I've, it's mainly the people that are behind it because <laughs> is it what's really weird is that, and I've probably said this in another interview, is Quirk's not the game I wanted to create and put out there as my first project. Um, mm. And when we made the game, and I say we, because um, we had to take my old card game and turn it into a two-player game, my sister, and I've written this, this has been in an interview, um, my sister took the whole card game, and she basically told me what would work and what wouldn't work, and then said turn it into Go Fish. So it was kind of like the quickest, simplest method of coming up with a card game. Yeah. And I went, I don't want it to be Go Fish. I want it to, have, I want it to be its own thing. But again, there's no original concept anymore so um it with the with the cards that i had in the game um it it was go fish but we added the elements of being able to steal and defend and have the skip cards which is that kind of next level up to go fish and also you have to make sounds and actions which i haven't seen any other game do that with that concept so it does. It no. feels like a completely, completely unique game or an innovative version of Go Fish on the market. And then from there, it's expanded. We've got mischief cards, and I'm I'm developing a new Kickstarter campaign. Which I know this is why you got in contact with me in the first place was about Quirk Hallows, because um, yeah. I'm supposed supposed to be. I will be <laughs> <laughs> developing Quirk Hallows for October and an October campaign. And I'm actually worried now because I'm so busy. Um, <laughs> that I'm everywhere and I still have to sit down and I think I've drawn a I've drawn most of the characters out of my sketchbook but I've digitized about four and a half of them and there's still a whole load more to do and I mean in the next couple of weeks I'm going to be uh going to EGX um right. going, tabletop gaming live I'm going to be exhibiting and then three weeks after that I'm going to Essen to go to Spill and exhibit wow. 
and I need in the between times I'm also away so I'm, I'm away for quite a lot of the time I'm going to be in um, Paris and London um, in between that as well and I need to be able to sit down and put this card game together, this new one. Um, but it's going to have new cards in it. It's going to have. Um, it's going to be. It's going to be the same quirk game, but it's going to have. Yeah. I'm going to call them trick, trick or treat cards. So it's that. That's the expansion pack that will come with um, Kickstarter because I always do something special for Kickstarter campaigns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, everybody wants a T-shirt, which I didn't expect would be so popular. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you're going to have a room full of t-shirts at some point in the future then. Yeah, so when I did uh, Quirk Legends, I had a kick, yeah. uh, a t-shirt backer um, yeah. spot. And nobody, like only about five people probably chose a t-shirt. And as soon as I had them printed um, after the campaign, so many people said, how can I get a t-shirt now? And I was like, <laughs> you can't. That's the whole point. But now... Um, it's all point of selecting your reward. It's yeah, you I select did, your reward at the time. I went back and I actually did a pre-order for them because they were so popular. And then this yeah. year, like, well, this this campaign that I'm thinking of doing for Quirk Hallows, I wasn't intending on doing any t-shirts because I'm kind of, I just don't have enough time to do loads of things. I kind of want it to be quite a small campaign again. Um, yeah. And so many people have said, if you release this game, I want to back for a t-shirt. So I ha- I feel like obliged now that there's going to be some t-shirts available for this campaign. You see what I mean about see, the pressure and the responsibility? Just, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if... Um, hats as well. Baseball caps, that would be a good idea. You should maybe consider... You might as well in for a penny and well, for a pound. Well, you say this, but really uh, <laughs> what, I'm, what I kind of look at is I know how much it... I know how much it costs for me to send the game in certain types of packaging. So it, it kind yeah. of, I'm always about um, the most efficient way of being able to deliver this. So I, I got a lot of praise for Quirk Legends because I delivered that project within six weeks of the project being funded. I think it was about six weeks of that. I'm sorry, you said six, sorry, six weeks within, sorry, like yes. the line went a bit funny. You said six weeks within funding. Yes. No, so, no. so we got funded. We got funded, yeah. and then within six weeks of us being funded, the games were in people at people's doors. That's just amazing. I know the folk. I know folk that are like sending out updates saying we we're going to be six weeks late on our three month kind yeah. of time window. I mean, that's meticulous. That's kind of a like meticulous type planning. But again, I'm. Well, it wasn't even planning. I didn't even have a print supplier when that Kickstarter funded and I was still looking around for, <laughs> for who I was going to go and print with next because I knew my print run would have been bigger. Yeah. And I ended up finding a company in the UK and because I do print in the UK, and again, like I've already talked about my company um, values. One of the things I value in my company is um, giving back to the UK economy. And I so I print Quirk in the UK um what that means is it's got a, a clean supply chain uh, there's a, a yeah. big thing about uh, modern modern slavery and when you go to places like china you don't know what the supply chain is like um yeah. and what they're working for so it's really it's what's hard about that is going into um large retail because if you read any of those policies they have a, a modern slavery act and your supply chain has to be 
like a squeaky clean so that they can yeah. buy your product and otherwise you're doing a disservice to the retail tra- chain that you're selling into I mean I don't even know if people realize you know people think about that I think there's this thing to kind of keep the cost down as yes. low as possible and a lot of guys I mean they ain't taking no trips out to to China to go and inspect no, kind of like it's the too factories expensive. and stuff like that yeah because I also I know that um when you're doing something like a card game, I mean, it's different if you've got camp components in your games because it, it kind of costs a bit more to go to the UK. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to go to a games manufacturer. But with a print run um, of just cards, China is expensive. Yes. Um, it, but it's expensive in the terms of... It's, like, I went to China to look at my card game and it was very, very cheap. But by the time they put the delivery costs on, I might as well have went to the UK. And I said to someone recently, I was like, there's no point me going to China because it's like me going, do I want my cards in a two-week turnaround or do I want them in 60 days? So I went with the UK. Do you think that's maybe just a... Is that an education thing then? Because I know that there's a lot of people out there that will just, you know, automatically I'm going to get quotes from China in order to get anything made. Whereas the kind of the UK market is, is I, I mean, are there, is it maybe a missed opportunity? I mean, are there printers out there that aren't aware that the the kind of the board game space is something to kind of be investigated quite simply because they've not been asked to print stuff like that before? I mean, if I go into printers, I can't, I guess I can't imagine sitting down with them and saying, well, listen, I need this, 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 this and this, because there's a chance they, they haven't done it before, so they might not have the... The capability but is maybe that a maybe that's my own ignorance but maybe that's a market that's kind of on you know kind of untapped and i guess you automatically think china's going to be reams cheaper anyway i guess well when i th- this is the kind of experience i've got when i worked in the tech industry one of my jobs was to source all the components for the product i was making so right. i would I would have to go to several different companies and I have to create a spreadsheet of all these components and then say, okay, well, we're going to do a bulk order. Where is the cheapest order for this? And one of the things I was looking into at the time was projection molding. And we could have went to the UK. I mean, looking at projection molding, anything you do in volume is going to cost you about £30,000 because there's a setup fee and then you've got to pay for the, the... well, you've got to pay for the molds and you've got to pay for the, obviously, the product to be made um, and get the volume. Yeah. And then I'd have to take the consideration of the setup and also the consideration of where I was getting it printed and, and the lead times and then the cost per unit. And it was like the UK's cost per unit was more expensive, but in the short term, it was more cost effective. Whereas in China, it was so much cheaper but if anything went wrong then you'd have to go and spend another £30,000 to get it redone so with the UK and and, um, rapid prototyping it just made sense for a first project to go there than to go all the way to Mm -hmm. China Um, and then I I sort of took that idea and went okay well I'm going to look at a load of different places I'm going to get, I mean it doesn't cost you to get quotes from anywhere but if you know what you're looking for so you know you're going to get a thousand games printed and you know the quality of the cards um you know and you're looking at the lead time um and then the cost of delivery you can add all of that up and say okay how much is my cost per game at the end of all of that and then you can really understand where you're going to make your money um i it might be 
it's for me still expensive to print in the UK, but I still think that I'm saving the money from having it shipped over from China. No, which is fair enough. And 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 I guess the thing to say is, if you are a printer out there and you know you want to come on the show and have a chat, by all means. I mean, we have had somebody from from Panda on the show. Oh, excellent. And, uh, you know, um, and it'd be interesting to hear somebody. I, as I say, I, you know, I can say, well, you could go to Panda. Um, there's Watts Games as well. I would struggle to potentially name for the you name a UK well, printer off the, the top thing. of my head. Which, so, um, there was a story that came out. I can't remember. I don't know how long ago it was, but Top Trumps brought all of their production to the UK. And mm-hmm. what that says to me is, if a, a massive company like that is taking everything back to the uk then it's not cost effective to be anywhere else in europe or in asia so yeah it's kind of interesting i guess it's taking the lead of the big guys yeah i I mean that's what they'll do if you look at what the big business is doing then that's you know shortly the small business ends up following pretty quickly because (laughs) that's you know people go with a kind of the I guess where kind of the money is. So I can give you, and, a, I can give a shout out to Heartgraph, who are my printers. Um, a lot people come to me and say, "Oh, I've seen your game on Heartgraph's website." So it's not a secret that I use them. <laughs> um, but they are actually very good for printing card games because they have invested in two massive LIFO machines. And I went there and I saw three thousand cards be printed in front of my eyes within an hour. <laughs> And then they've got the equipment to cut the cards. They've got the equipment to make the boxes up and they can do that all for you. And then send, I mean, they can even send it out if you have an agreement with them. So it just depends on the kind of model that you have, but they are, they are looking at the games industry. They understand the trends that are happening and they are preparing themselves for an influx of game inquiries. I think, I think we'll get them on. (laughs) I can introduce I think you. Last, I would love that if you did that. I think let's get, you know, let's get um, somebody from the UK kind of on just to represent the UK printing people. That would be a very, very cool thing. Very, very cool thing to do. Um, I'm conscious of time, but anyway, I have questions in relation to um, Amazon because okay. you are one of these people that is selling on Amazon and you've got your game there, and um, we kind of had a chat about that. And <laughs> but have you found kind of even having the presence on the Amazon has that been useful? Has that helped to provide the a kind of a little bit of a kind of a tail in terms of online retail for you, or is it just a big pain and you're only there because you have to be there kind of thing? Oh, there's so much. There's so many questions around Amazon. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to go left field and then come in with something else um but (laughs) do that okay so i want to talk about niching and hopefully i can bring this back so it it makes any sense but i might go on a tangent and we'll never go back there but um that's fine if you just fall into black holes it's talking about design and development that's okay (laughs) so i gave a talk to some students at bournemouth university and i used a very amazing um uh, what's the word anecdote um for how you niche a product or even how you network and how you get into industry or get noticed by anyone um i used pandemic as as a uh, um what's the word as an example, example? yes <laughs> so most people listening to your podcast will know 
how to play Pandemic or how Pandemic works. So yes. without, I just guess, don't think I need to explain it, but um, the way you should niche is how pen, Pandemic works with um, with viruses. So you need to infect your brilliance. This is my term. You infect your brilliance okay. in one out when one area until it outbreaks into all the other areas yeah okay right and that's niching so um amazon has been very good for me um to get me the sort of clout behind me to say we're a two-time bestseller on amazon but in order for me to become a two-time bestseller on amazon i was going up against games like uno uh travel guess who um there's some other games on there that are there's some big games and I what I did was I, I tallied every single game on the top 20s page um, and the, I got to slot 11 I think within six weeks of going on to Amazon um, and I, what I tallied was whether that game had been on there for a long period of time whether it was backed mm-hmm. by Amazon or whether it had a name for itself like Guess Who where people will buy yeah. it anyway because they know the name um, yeah. And my game was the only independent game on pa- on the first page of the bestsellers list for travel games, um, and that's because of that little ane- anecdote or example I've given you for pandemic is infecting your brilliance in in a niche area, um, so that mm-hmm. it outbreaks. So the idea with that, and I'm giving away my strategy here, is that um, I that's fine. There's not. There's, I'll not. I'll cut this entire bit out if you want. <laughs> not cut this bit out this is gold keep going yes. uh, <laughs> so i i niched in travel games because everybody yeah. when people go on to amazon they go okay i've got a card game I'll, i'm honest to it i've got a card game um in card games there's something like two hundred and fifty thousand games and that's what you're competing against and you're not yeah. going to get seen when if you're an independent game designer so i went into travel games because there was only just over a thousand games in that category um and then because it, it works between um, ads and organic buy-in, I had a bunch of friends go and buy it. So you your rank changes every hour based on the amount of sales you're getting. Um, so you, the sales yeah. per day as well. Um, and because I was getting quite a few organic sales, I was getting pushed further and further up the page. Um, and then what happened was with running ads alongside that, pushed it even further because what that said in the algorithms is this game sells um and because that then pushed me onto the the front page of uh travel games that means i naturally got more sales and it also means that i then became a a two-time bestseller in dedicated card games because of how well it was doing um but took my my rank in toys and games and you can imagine there's there's over two million toys and games um so it's very hard to rank there. So it managed to take me down to sometimes 3,000, rank 3,000 out of 2 million. Um, so it's like, not look, don't look at the big picture. Look at the very small p- picture and where you can break out and have that success. And that's exactly the model in which, obviously, you lose at pandemic because it just breaks out so fast. Um, but that has led me on to other things. So Amazon for me is, I, I I always see things as marketing approaches, so I don't make any money from yeah. this game. This is all, this is all the first, I'm in my first two years, first year of sales. This is all um, getting me the marketing out there to say, look, there's a game on the market and it's something that you should really get um, because it, it has all these features in it. And as a family, it's a great game, um, but it's not like I'm not doing it for profit at the moment. And um, everything that 
I make on Amazon go straight back into the business. So obviously I'm doing tabletop gaming live. I'm going to Essen. That money's paying for my hotels and it's paying for me to have a stand there and it pays for me to have food whilst I'm out there. Um, but it doesn't go into my pocket at all for me to then have a life. <laughs> so yeah, it it's a strategy, I would say. And I always say that to people is it's, and also Kickstarter is like, don't go on Kickstarter expecting to make any money for you unless you expect to do one pr- product run and then just take the money from the product run. If you want to yeah. grow a business, you're going to have to put all that money that you make, any spare money, and put it back into the business and keep doing that until it starts making a profit. There's a lot <laughs> to digest there, I understand. <laughs> I I am... Um, I, I think there's, um, there's two things I have to, to say. Um... I think the first thing is is I think this is the beginning of potentially many conversations because you have to come back on the show. That's what um, Unlucky Frog said. <laughs> um, I do things and, differently, uh, very differently. Well, I, I, I like you know I I like to think I'm not formulaic, and then I just look at my ingredients and realize that I am. But um, <clears throat> I just no, um, we've had like a fair number of conversations kind of back and forward now and you seem to be one of these people who um you have to keep an eye on because it looks like there's always going to be something new and exciting and you're obviously making a name for yourself well we haven't even spoken about the autumn fair (laughs) and what's happening next something big's happening something big's happening but i can't talk about it like uh I put out a, a post on my personal Facebook page and I said, um, we're celebrating, but I can't say anything. I really want to tell people because, do you know, I want to tell people that you, when you have a dream and you want to follow it, it's possible for it to happen. So basically, I've, I'm at the point where in the next couple of months, once something happens, um, hopefully it happens i've still got my fingers crossed that it's going to happen it's very positive at the moment um but that it is possible that your dreams will come true um because i've had this on my mind for the last two years and it's just i'm just blown away by what's happening um and i want to give people that advice i I actually did a bit of a I did a 20 minute um vlog just just telling people where i am but i haven't I haven't put it anywhere. I, it's, I've kept it for myself because I'm unsure whether to post it. But I, I'll give you something that I said in it. Um, I I don't really want to give people a step-by-step of how how you do what I've done once I've done it, or once I can tell you what it is. Um, but, but what I want to give people from the story that I'm creating with Quirk is that there's a way for you to do what I'm doing, but it's going to be your own journey and, and you're going to take your own steps and there's going to be ways for you to work around the same things I went through, but it's not necessarily going to be step by step how I've done it. Do you know what? I've done a video. One of the, I did actually edited the video and I told in it, I say what's happening, but then I'm, I, I want to release it because actually I say what's happening and then I've edited it so that I've taken the volume down on my voice. I've put a quirk, quirk off card over my mouth and then I've put like a weird noise. So as soon as I say it, you don't hear it. So it's like, it's a real tease, but I don't want to say it just in case I jeopardize it. Where do we find you on the interweb nets? I was gonna say asleep, but 
on the internet. <laughs> I am on Twitter at MS Studios and Instagram yeah. and Facebook at MS Studios. Okay. And my website is uh, www.quirkthegame.com if you want that too. There you go. So what we'll do is we'll take these um we'll take these links and we'll put them in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Um thank you for coming on. Thank you. This has been amazing. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to and we appreciate everybody that does, um, you can follow us on Twitter, you can follow us on Facebook, you can follow us on Instagram, you can follow us on Tumblr. You just have to search We're Not Wizards. You will find us where there are no wizards, basically. If you want to listen to us, you can find us on Stitcher and Acast and Spreaker and uh, Player FM and all these wonderful other places like Podknife and even Podbean. You can listen through our website, which is we'renotwizards.com and you can read our words by going to we'renotwizards.blogspot.com as well. If you really like what we're doing, then please go to Apple Podcasts and drop us a rating, drop us a review. And as we say on our reviews, if you really kind of like us, um, you know, remember, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big-headed and don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us five, because it's in the middle, and it's average, and we are just a little bit average. Um, but the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, Emma, from MS Studios. Thank you very, very much for coming on, Emma. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute delight, and there's only... Two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Emma? No. Fantastic. Well, maybe if you play quick. Don't. I just <laughs> don't even. A single flipping time. Honestly. I'm not going to cut that bit out now. Um, so mean. <laughs> I'm going to cut it out. And then I'm not going to cut it out, and then I'm going to leave the bit about me saying I'm not going to cut it out. And then people will go, what's he talking about cutting out what? So I'll be even. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Emma. Say goodbye. Bye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll6s.com. And <laughs> just keep an eye out for what Emma's doing, because, you know, and, and, and then she'll be back on, I, I promise you. Um, but until the next time... Goodbye.